Hello and welcome to episode 1144 of The Sleeper and the Bus. It is Monday, February 20th. I'm your host, Paul Spore, joined this morning by Justin Mason. Justin, good morning, sir. Good morning, bright and early here on the West Coast. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing pretty well. Um, we were going to schedule later, but your body said, get up. It's time to start the morning. How was it's, your weekend? It's draft day for me. I got my uh, Beach Justin Mason OC. How excited are you for that? I am. I'm pretty excited. It's my first did you get? Like, one. I forgot to set my KDS, so I. Uh, uh, you don't love one. I know that. It's my first time drafting there this season, and it's a 12 team league. So I kind of actually am interested to see how it plays out because unlike mm-hmm. a 15 team league where you've got to wait for you know picks 30, 31, uh, someone shared with me on uh, on Twitter last night that they were picking at pick one. And they started Acuna and then got Burns and Cole at 24-25. And he's like, should I have done that? I was like, dude, if if, if I get that today, I'm going to shit myself. Like, I'm going to be so excited. Like, I know starting pitching is deep, and uh, especially in a 12-team league, uh, it's pretty, pretty easy to uh, get your starters a little bit later. But I'm not passing up on Cole and Burns at 24-25. So I can't Got imagine it. that happens. That That seems... That seems really nice. And, you know, we talk about it a lot, too. The The core, the, the, the first three, four, even five picks that you set, they're very important, but you're really going to uh, kind of determine where your season goes, I think, with, you know, say picks six through 12 type of deal. You know, it's, it's, it's getting the stars there. Mm-hmm. You just don't want mega misses in those early picks, right? You're really trying to avoid the guys who get injured and, and play like, you know, six weeks of the season type of deal. But as long as you get solid production, even if it's, you know, two, three, four rounds less than than what you drafted for, that usually doesn't kill you. I think, you know, and we, we talk about it a lot, you know, we spend so much time on those picks, but those aren't even the ones that are the the, the biggest game changers. In fact, the, the level of pitcher that we're covering today is, is where I think you really start to uh, – you know, and, and the ones we did on, on Friday, it's really where you start to look at things and say, okay, if we find the gems here, this is how we can win our league. Because we are still talking starting pitchers. We're in our third episode here. And we're doing another, uh, I think, 28 guys today. So I'm excited. I thought, to get I thought you were saying we're going to do another 28 starting pitcher episode. We'll do another, we got about another 28 from here. I mean, we could, <laughs> let's be honest. But no, we will probably do this one Friday. And then we'll we'll see where we get through. Uh, with Friday's episode, we'll go from there. But uh, we got another a bunch of group of guys here. We're going to start with three duos on teams, and let's just dive right in. Let's talk about the two Rays breakouts this past year and how you feel about them going forward. Drew Rasmussen and Jeffrey Springs. Now, they were really interesting. I think there was some attention toward Rasmussen and expectation from him, and he delivered. But Jeffrey Springs literally came out of nowhere, just came out and had a huge season. From the bullpen, they started trusting him. They actually kind of trusted him a bit more with innings than they did Rasmussen. He was such a five-and-dive, Rasmussen was. Springs was getting opportunities to go uh, over five into the six-inning range. I think he went seven a couple times as well. Uh, Springs is the 50th pitcher off the board around pick 169. Rasmussen at 53 around 176. Surprising that Springs has bypassed Rasmussen. How do you feel about these two starters for the Rays? I like them both. I, you know, I will point out the fact that by the end of the season, their roles had kind of reversed where 
uh, Springs had become the guy that was going five and dive and sometimes less than five. He had a couple three inning outings. Uh, and Rasmussen was the one going deep. He went at least five innings uh, in every single start except for one from August 14th on, including. Didn't, he got some late sixes too, right? Yeah, he had a seven to end the season uh, against the Houston Astros. He had an eight uh, and a third on August 14th against the Orioles. Uh, like they started to really let him kind of go. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm hoping that's indicative of where we're at in the season is that they're going to let him be a little, uh, go a little bit deeper into games. Cause be, I think the biggest criticism of Rasmussen is the fact that they didn't let him go deep into games, which made it difficult for him to get win potential to rack mm -hmm. up those strikeouts. But later in the season, they let him. So I don't know why they wouldn't give him the opportunity to do that again. Uh, I like them both very, very similarly. I have Rasmussen just a little bit ahead of Springs. Uh, you know, guys who pop up like Springs scare me a little bit that they might go back uh, into the hole in which they climbed out of. Um, I, I don't know that he has any skills that are really impeachable, though. Uh, and so I That's have no way. problem drafting either or both on pretty much any team. I mean, the, the talent's there. Uh, for both these guys, it's just a matter of if they're going to get the in. Because I got a pretty big split on the two here. I actually have to see what's up with that because I'm not really sure why that is. So I'm going to open up my projection sheet here in a moment. But you look and, you know, I, I see what you're saying here with the two. It's weird that it was Boston twice in September that Springs had the shortened outings with the three innings on mm -hmm. September 7th and October 4th. Now, the October 4th one, I could see that just being a tune up. And they're saying, hey, you know, we're going to the playoffs. We're not we're not going to worry about pushing you. But the one on September 7th, also three innings. I don't know did, if he got nicked or something and had to come out because he'd only allowed one hit um, and, and one walk in those three innings. So I don't know. And then in between that, it was six, five and two thirds, five and six. So by September, both guys, for the most part, were really getting trusted to at least be that firm five after, like you said, Rasmussen spent so much of the year. Uh, coming in under five or really right at that five, and it really hampered his ability to get wins. Both are great. I think both have the chance to have strong seasons this year, and I think they're going to need to start trusting them too because, you know, although anytime we think like, oh, you know, they're going to have to start pushing them because they don't have pitch, they don't have that crazy depth, they're going to find three, four guys out of nowhere. and Yeah, they'll Jay find this year's Jeffrey Springs. Exactly, uh, like Jalen Beeks will – you know, start mm -hmm. going five for them or something randomly. And I, I really don't know what their minor leagues are looking like beyond uh, Patino, although Torino's should come back healthy. We'll see about Josh him. Bradley's Josh there. Bradley, very interesting prospect. Now, he peaked at um, – no, he reached AAA last year. So he had 59 innings there. He wasn't too bad. Uh, you got to get that homer, those homers in check. He jumped from never being above 1.0 homers per nine for Taj Bradley. It's a prospect for the race to 1.5 at AAA. Small sample blimp. Or something to worry about? I don't know, but he could be interesting. So they will have some depth. I do think both these guys, though, Rasmussen and Springs, should finally be trusted and uh, and, and be allowed to get those five-plus innings pretty consistently. Do you have a preference between the two, or do you have them both ranked pretty closely? I mean, they're both ranked pretty closely, I believe, but I, I'm pretty sure my preference, and I'm just double-checking. So I've got Rasmussen at, it, or at uh, starting pitcher 37, and springs at 45. So Rasmussen is is my dude uh this year. Yeah, I'm looking and I see 
I don't know like why my springs he landed at 71 for me. I guess I get, maybe I have too high of an ERA. I got a 371-21 ERA whip. I, I'm I'm fine with that though. It ends up putting him at 71 though. So I guess wow. by by that measure, I'd be out. Um, and I got him for you know 140 Ks and 141 innings, like some some regression, sure, off of the breakout, but I I don't think I have him looking bad, but it, it is definitely putting him down in the rankings to a point where I wouldn't how, get him. How many innings did you say? 140? 141, yeah. Why so low on the innings? That's I mean, that's less innings than he threw in 2022. Well, he threw 135 in the majors, right? Or oh, are you talking about Springs? Springs, Springs, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, still though, I, I would expect him to throw more, especially they signed him to that extension. Yeah. I think they're going to trust him a little bit. I have him for 150, uh, and honestly, I could even bump that up, which would probably bring him right up next to Rasmussen. So, mm-hmm. uh, I think maybe we're both a little light on the innings there for Springs. Uh, what did you have for innings wise on Rasmussen? I've got I've got Drew with uh, Buck 55. Okay, I've never, I got him for a little higher. I got him closer to 170. So and that's I, I probably can, the difference in terms if, of if they why. really well. Our our Rasmussen ranks are pretty close. I think. Oh, are they? Okay. Yeah, I've got him 41. You got him 37. <laughs> yeah. So I, I really like. Uh, I, I really like. Uh, excuse me. I really like Rasmussen. I got him for 348, 110, with 147 Ks in those 155 innings. So I don't know. I, I might have to reassess on Springs because yeah, I don't have him for much of an innings gain. And, you know, he didn't he didn't start uh, he didn't move into the rotation until later. And even if he is a real tight five, if they give him 30 plus starts, you know, that that's going to get him more than 140 something in, innings. So mm-hmm. I will reassess that and see where I'm at with him. But I do like Rasmussen more between the two. And I'll be eager to see where um, uh, where, where they wind up because they're they are pretty close in the market. Let's move on to another duo on the same team here and talk about a couple Dodger dogs. Drew, uh, Dustin May and Tony Gonsolin. Now, obviously, they had very disparate seasons last year. Dustin May was returning from TJ, barely pitched at the end of the year. Tony Gonsolin had an amazing breakout season, 130 innings with a 214 ERA, .88 whip, 16-1 and record, and yet they're relatively close in the market, and it's it seems like nobody's really buying what Gonsolin's selling. Meanwhile, for May to be up that close near him, means that people are really interested in everything Dustin May's got going on. And I get it. He's actually going ahead of Gonsolin, SP-47, to Gonsolin's SP-54. First off, let's start with Gonsolin. Do you agree with the market? Do you have him in in the 50s? Are you concerned that he's going to have this big fall off? We know the 16-1 and record. Put that off to the side. No one's, no one's betting on that again. But what about the production? What what do you see from Gonsolin this year? Are you worried that the shift is going to hurt him because he did have tiny babips? Uh, you know the shift uh, uh, adjustments, not 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 a full banning. We say it every episode. But what do you think about Tony Gonsolin this year? Is he going to be any good? I think he's going to be good. He pitches. My biggest concern with Gonsolin is the fact that he really struggled with injury last year and their arm injuries that have really kind of scare me. Uh, and so I, I'm I'm not quite as worried about the shift, I think, as everybody else. I still think he's like a mid-threes ERA kind of pitcher. Obviously, he's going to be a regression from last year because he, he's not definitely not going to hold an under-three ERA. But like I think while he's on the mound, he's going to be a very effective pitcher. I have him at 51, so a little bit lower 
uh, than I think maybe some other people do. But I don't think like he's right there. 52 for me. So we're right Um, in line with the market. I don't think he's going to fall off. My question is how many innings can we really expect from a guy who's never really thrown a ton of innings at the major league level uh, in a season and then also like really struggled with injuries last year and the kind of injuries that could end his season. That's the tough part with Gonsolin. You know, 130 last year, far and away a career high in the majors, uh, you know, hadn't exceeded 55 innings before or 55 and two thirds in 2021 was his previous high. And so all the projections kind of have him in that 140s something type range steamers at 153. And that's kind of the tough part. You know, can he be banked on to to be out there every fifth day? Um, you know, we were talking about the Dodgers just before we, we went live here. And we've talked about their their offense being, you know, a bit more pedestrian, especially in that second half of the lineup. Their pitching also kind of lacks the depth and excellence. You know, uh, Walker Buehler is going to be out for this year. And thus, their projection came in at under 90 wins, which, I mean, when was the last time that happened? They're still projected to make the playoffs. They have a 69% uh, playoff potential in our new playoff odds. But the Padres are ahead of them. The Braves, the Mets, the the, um, cards are basically deadlocked with them. I think it was 88.2 wins to 88.4 as far as the projection goes. This team uh, just isn't as deep. Will that allow maybe Gonsolin to push, say, I don't know, a 160 inning season if his if his body will hold up? Or are you just concerned that his body can't get there even if even if the Dodgers were to allow Gonsolin to do such a thing? I think my biggest concern is that if there is an injury, it's going to be of the catastrophic variety. And so like I don't want to be relying upon him in the middle of my rotation. You know, even having him as a top 50 pitcher means in a 15-team league, he's my SP4. And I don't feel super comfortable about a guy like that as my SP4. And so I just I don't know that I'm going to end up with him, even though I have him projected there. It's been just, shoulder, you know, sh- big-time shoulder mm-hmm. issues last year, 2021 with Gonsolin, and then a strained right forearm last year, mm-hmm. which is, you know, not always, but can be the precursor to something more. Uh, namely Tommy John. And so, like you said, when, when Gonsolin gets hurt, it's not usually a minor uh, nicks and bruises. It's something that could be potentially catastrophic, and that is scary. But, man, I look at the, this production, and it was off the charts, but it's that 207 Babbitt that everyone has regressing pretty substantially for him as well. And that's why you look at you know his Sierra at 374 versus an ERA at 214, and all the projections got him in that upper threes and some even in the low to mid fours, the bat 425 for Gonsolin, steamer 438. So there's some real, real distrust of what Gonsolin can do. And the market is is uh, adhering to that with his SP54 slot, which I will say, hey, credit to the market for not just overrating what he did last year. You know, a lot of times a guy like that performs that well for 130 innings, which is a decent sample. And you see them skyrocket. Nope, the market's in check on Gonsolin. So I will say that at least if you're buying him, I don't think you're overpaying. I think that's a fair price. Yeah, I mean, I I think on a printing basis, he's going to be pretty good. I just, for me, the bigger concern is uh, that he's not going to make it very deep into the season and that there's the risk that you're in his second start and he blows out his elbow or shoulder and now you're dropping your your fourth or fifth SP depending on what size league you're in. That's always scary, though. Again, 
that could literally happen to anybody. So that's that's just the the nature of pitching. But Obviously, he has a heightened a, risk. Yeah, thank you. There is a he, heightened he does risk. Have a, Gonsolin does have a heightened risk. What about this guy though? Does he have a heightened risk? Because uh, Dustin May certainly hasn't done anything in the majors uh, beyond shown little flashes here and there. And before his TJ in 2021, it was only five starts, but man, it looked like things were really coming together. He's always been like one of the most gifable pitcher, pitchers out there with his nasty, nasty stuff. But his first two stints in the majors in 19 and 20, he wasn't really missing bats, despite how nasty that sinker was. You're like, well, yeah, it's great. And it moves 5,000 inches, but nobody swings and misses at it. It's like one of those where it's like it moves so much that they can kind of spit on it. And then 2021 started 38% K rate, 14% swing strike rate. Things were coming together. And of course it popped. Um, and only 30 innings last year coming back from TJ. He was inconsistent. The, exactly the way you see a TJ returner. Nothing surprised me about his 450 ERA 117 whip, 23% K rate, but there was still the 13% swinging strikes for Dustin May. Is he ready for a breakout season or are you going to be cautious with him because of the return from, uh, you know, he's, he's not, he's back from TJ, but this will be his first full season, not only just back from TJ, but in the majors. So we don't know if he can hold up to 30 plus starts. Where do you stand on Dustin May coming into this year? Yeah, I just couldn't get his projection past like 110 innings. Like, I really think he will be a very good pitcher. Uh, and I think he could be the kind of guy we saw in 2021, even though it was a tiny sample where he starts getting those strikeouts. So not only does he get the ground balls, but also gets the strikeouts. Like, I think there is a re or not a reasonable outcome, but an outcome for 2023 where he's a top 15 pitcher. But that being said, like, I just can't trust him at this point to get the workload. Uh, that makes sense. And with the Dodgers being so conservative with their entire team, kind of ramping up for 2024 and Otani and all that, you got to wonder if they're going to be conservative with his innings. Uh, now, they may not have the option to do that, considering yeah. the other injury issues inside of that rotation, though they do have depth in the minors and can always trade for guys and stuff like that. But so far, they haven't like gone out like they could have been a team that went and got Michael Waka. Or you know yeah, they haven't the made random, the random Joe on the market that mm -hmm. like you know to kind of fill in uh, for guys. So maybe they are expecting. Maybe I'm way too low on his innings projection for for Dustin May's innings projection for 2023. But right now I've got him at like a 110 innings and I think like a three six ERA with a strikeout and inning, I think he's going to be good, but I think he's a season away from being great. Yeah, I got 125 innings, 367, 122 with 138 Ks. Very solid season, but I got him 78. You got him 91. We're not getting Dustin May. Or you got him 90, excuse me. We're not getting Dustin May with SP47 mm -hmm. being his current price. Is the market overpaying? I mean, obviously, according to our rankings, we think so, but like uh, – I guess we, we we would say it's an egregious overpay then, right? Because we're nowhere near that. So you're nowhere. You're not uh, going to have any Dustin May shares this year, if I understand correctly. Yes. Yeah, I can't imagine he ends up on any of my teams. I think the only place where he would make sense for me is in like a ten team league, where with one of my last spots, I go. You know, what? I'm going to shoot for upside, see what happens, and I can always drop him if he doesn't look right or if it doesn't seem like he's getting innings. Uh, but in 12 and 15 team leagues, which are largely what I play, I just, I don't think he's worth the gamble where he's going. 
Yeah, it's it seems pretty tough there. Dustin may pick one fifty three. I'm just really good pitchers going just spot checking the pitchers around him. Lucas Giolito, Luis Garcia, Chris Bassett, who we're going to talk about soon. uh, Jordan Montgomery, Charlie, Charlie Morton, other guys, obviously, that are going to be in this episode. Jeffrey Springs is going 10 picks later. Yeah, I just you can't take guys like that or you can't take Dustin May over guys like that. It just makes zero sense to be taking a guy who may make triple digits in terms of innings like may it's a it's a tough bet it, it really is i like him but i was surprised at how high dustin may's price was and it really took me off uh thinking like okay because I, I thought maybe i'd be in on him this year if he was closer to that you know somewhere in the 60s to 70s sp rank but at sp 47 it's just not i mean giolito is likely gonna throw like 180 190 innings i mean but- at, at, for sure. Like I, I mean, unless unless he I gets don't, hurt, I, of course. I don't even know what to make of Lucas Giolito, and I will take him 99 out of 100 times over Dustin May. Like, I don't to- even think. Totally agree with that. I can't honestly think of a scenario in which I would take Dustin May over a guy like Luis Garcia or Chris Bassett or or Lucas Giolito, any of those guys, honestly. Yep. No, I I, I totally agree with that, and I'm, I'm pretty surprised uh, by by that pick. Uh, pick range for Dustin May. So we'll see. Let's stay in the greater LA area. I don't need the LA folks killing me because it's it's technically Anaheim. I, do, I don't care. Okay, they're called LA, but I, I'll I'll give you the greater LA area, whatever that is. Um, and you talk about a couple of southpaws out there in Patrick Sandoval and Reed Detmers. There's some excitement for these guys. They're kind of you know not, not necessarily sleepers. Uh, and whatever that word means these days, but you know they're those mid-tier guys that uh, their their proponents really like. You got Detmers at SP fifty-nine, Sandoval at SP sixty-one. They had interesting seasons last year. Sandoval really showed flashes throughout, uh, but the WHIP was still pretty high for him. It's that extreme ground ball and a lack of defense to really take care of it for him. Meanwhile, Detmers had such an interesting season because around that time that he got his no hitter. He was not looking like somebody who was worthy of a no-hitter. Like That was a suspect no-hitter. He needed everything to break right for him. He only had two strikeouts. It was one of those where it's like, oh, okay, like this is a good prospect, but a no-hitter for him is kind of funny. Then he got sent out uh, shortly thereafter, about a month or so thereafter, because he was just too inconsistent, wasn't missing bats. Goes down to the minors. I think he was only down there for two starts. Figures out something with the slider, comes back, and then that guy probably should have gotten the no-hitter mm-hmm. because from the time of his return through the rest of the season, Detmers put up 71 innings with a 304 uh, ERA, 78 strikeouts in 71 innings, and looked very much the part of the guy that we were expecting. He did have a 130 whip, so the whip was still running high, but it's a 339 Babbitt. And again, I think the defense didn't exactly help either of those guys, Sandoval or Detmers. Who do you like more between those two southpaws? Ooh, that's a tough question. I mean, I think it's Sandoval. I'm not particularly high on either of them because of the issues with the whip, and I don't think that infield defense got any better. Um, If they had added a shortstop, like a good defensive shortstop, I'd feel pretty good about it. Dansby could have been a nice fit for them. Dansby would have been a great fit for them. Uh, and I really thought they were going to add like an Elvis Andrews or someone. Uh, but Who signed with the White Sox, by the way? Did, yeah. did, did you guys talk, did you guys talk about that yesterday? 
Uh, I hadn't seen it at that point. It might so. not have. I, I don't know. It might have been. I don't. Th- I don't know that it had happened. At, uh, okay, quite but yet. yeah, he he signed with them. That made a lot of sense. One year, three million. He's going to play second base for them. By the way, obviously we're talking pitchers, but that's a that's a nice pickup, and I'm I'm kind of intrigued by that now mm-hmm. that Andrews finally landed after that, having that huge second half with them. But yeah, if they had signed somebody like that for their defense, that certainly would have helped. I do like both pitchers. I get the concerns regarding that defense, though. I think. You know, in a way, it's like um, with with Sandoval specifically, because he is a ground ball guy, whereas uh, Detmers isn't. You think maybe Sandoval should just kind of lean away from being so ground ball heavy. He actually did tamp it down last year. He went from being a 50s ground ball rated guy to 47%, uh, maybe even more where he's like, if, if I don't get the ball on the ground, it's, that's okay because I don't know that Renhifo and Drury are going to turn it into outs that often. You are not in on these guys though. You said you said it yourself. 72 mm-hmm. for Sandoval, 75 for Detmers. I got him 40 and 48. I like both these guys. Wow. I really think that they've got the swing and miss to kind of overcome that. I think the Babbitt will regress just on uh, just just on, on natural regression alone of being way too high. Particularly that that Detmers uh Babbitt from when he came back. 339 for a guy who is not a fly or who is a fly ball pitcher uh, and was actually missing bats, that seems crazy. It was 277 in general because uh, basically it regressed from he was amazing at Babbitt when he wasn't very good. And that's how he kind of survived. And then from the call up on, Detmers's Babbitt was like kind of trying to punish him, even though he was pitching a lot better. Mm-hmm. I think it stays fine this year. He was at 277 for the composite season. I think he can live around there with the skills that he had upon return. That could be an excellent pitcher. I really, really like Detmers. Sandoval, um, I, I, I love him too. I do worry though that if the if the ground ball rate gets back up over 50, that he will be punished by that defense. I'd also like to see some improvements on his walk rate. 10 and 9% the last two years. Does need to figure something out there too because if you're putting extra guys on, and you're having a BABIP issue, obviously that starts the cycle of guys just running around the bases constantly. But I love the swing and miss for both these guys. I really think there's a lot of talent there, and I think they both come in with uh, 160-plus innings this year, and I think that volume is really going to help catapult them as well. Have we gotten like an official word? Because I know there's been talk about like they're going to let Otani pitch more, uh, that mm-hmm. he's going to pitch every six days. So are they not running a six-man rotation, or are they running like a hybrid? Like, like it's ho- I think it's going to be a hybrid. By the way, did you know that they have outside of Otani, everyone else is a lefty. Yeah, lefty. I just noticed that as well. It's crazy. Like, Anderson, and Sandoval, Suarez, Detmers, and Tucker Davidson. You got some teams who don't have a lefty, and you got the Angels who have all the. Lefties. They got all of them. Um, that's a good question. Let me let me see if because that really changes my projection on a guy like Detmers and a guy like Sandoval because one of the issues in Los Angeles uh, for the Angels has been that because they run the six man rotation, guys don't get the two starts, uh, mm-hmm. and so you can't project them for 180 innings. Like you have to start tamping down those projections because they're never going to get to 30 starts uh, in a season. So I have innings totals lower for Sandoval and Detmers. I definitely need to bump up Detmers a little bit uh, for sure. Cause I think I only have him for like 145 uh, innings. So I think he could probably get to 160. Uh, and I might need to bump up Sandoval as well, especially if they are going to kind of let these guys pitch more often. And then maybe like Tucker Davidson becomes the guy that, okay, he fills in when they want to give 
Otani. They want to give or, a little space, yeah. yeah space. As opposed to a a an every a mm-hmm. permanent six man. I can't find anything. So from back in November, they were saying they're doing a six man again. But then I I heard similar things to you where it's like they're kind of backing off of that and and maybe saying that they're not necessarily going to go firm six. I don't know. Um, Otani said, you know, I'm, I'm reading a recent article. This is from February 16th. This is just from last week. Uh, Alden Gonzalez from ESPN saying, uh, Otani said, you know, I pitched on five days rest a few times last year, and I think my numbers were pretty good. Um, I don't know. I think he wants to be somebody that that gets, you know, just pitches every fifth day instead of every sixth. And he's saying he can do it. It's a matter of of the angels kind of going with it. I think they should. Tucker Davidson's quite a bit worse than anybody else. I think as a five-man rotation, it's pretty damn good with Otani, Anderson, mm-hmm. Sandoval, Detmers, and Suarez. And I I hope they go for it. I kind of have projected that they will based on those numbers because you're right. If not, I, I don't think I can go 169, 170 with Sandoval and Detmers. Um, I would have to probably scrape off 15, 20 innings, which as we've talked about a lot, that, that would make a big difference. That would make a big difference in the numbers. But as it stands right now, I'm in on both. I've got them, you know, pretty dang high, right in line, you know, uh, with the market here, at least and even a little bit higher on Sandoval. But uh, you're in the 70s for both. So, like I said, you're not drafting either of these guys right now, as it it seems. Like I said, I need to, I think I need to add some innings, at least for Detmers and possibly for Sandoval, too. Uh, I just hate guys that have bad whips because whip, I think, is the easiest stat in roto to kind of ignore uh, and i think we often do it uh to our own detriment and mm-hmm. i think I agree with that. For sandoval like he he was healthy last year but he's had some like weird back issues at times mm-hmm. and so i do worry a little bit more about his health and maybe a guy like detmers so i think i'm gonna increase the innings on detmers a little bit but also just kind of keep very tuned in on angels news in terms of are they going to run a five-man rotation or a six-man? Like, how many starts do we think each one of these guys are actually going to get? Yeah, I think that that will be a, a big factor, and, and I'll stay tuned on that as well because, again, if they say it's going to be pretty much six, uh, then i then I got to lower those innings, and they'll yeah. push me down on those guys. I don't think it'll push me off completely, though, because, like I said, with the market being where it's at on them, and that was um, Sandoval at uh, – excuse me, Detmers at 59, Sandoval at 61 – I think you're honestly, well ahead, yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm so far ahead that even scraping the innings down a little bit would just probably put me within line with the market. I've already gotten both on plenty of my offseason teams. So I, I'm in. I, I really like their talent. I'm, I think I'm I think very intrigued. Bats. I'm very intrigued by both. Like I, I watch both pitch and I go, ooh, these are guys I really, really like. But yeah, the defense behind them and then the innings concerns with a six-man rotation have me out for right now. We got a group of finesse gems here. They don't they don't miss a ton of bats, but they're all pretty damn good. Chris Bassett, Jordan Montgomery, Miles Michaelis, Jameson Tyon, Merrill Kelly, and Brady Singer. Interesting group there. You got a guy like Singer who broke out last year. Merrill Kelly had a rebound season. The two Cardinals were pretty good. You know, Jormont obviously went from the Yankees to the Cardinals. Bassett had another good season, but he's going to Toronto. Tyon going to have a new team as well with the Cubs. Do you have a favorite out of this bunch that? You're getting consistently, and and they really stand above this group for you. Can I pick five favorites? Five favorites in a group of seven. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll pick two favorites because uh, these are the two guys I've probably group ended of up. Six, with, excuse me. Uh, I've probably ended up on with the most uh, on the most amount of teams: Jordan Montgomery and Brady Singer. Okay. Um, 
I like both too. I I mean, I know that there are questions uh, specifically about Brady Singer being kind of a two-pitch guy. I, I still think he can continue to develop that third pitch or add a different third pitch. But that park is so nice to pitch in. Uh, he's going to be at the top of that super weird old rotation that they've built. Uh, and I just think he, you know, the fact that he threw, I think, 180 innings or, or somewhere around that last year, like, like gives him a really nice floor as a guy that can just volume his way to being good. And that doesn't even account for the fact that he could take a real step forward this year. Uh, I like both of the two pitches that he does throw. I'm I'm a big fan. Like I actually had to tamp down his projection a little bit because he was coming. Montgomery is a top thirty guy. Where 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 was he? Oh no, I'm talking about Singer right now. Oh, excuse me. Excuse um, me. Uh, I had Singer as a top thirty guy, and I tamped down his projection a little bit just to get him. I think I have him around forty now. Uh, but yeah, Montgomery, I feel the same way about. Uh, he's a more finished product. He's in a great park as well with a fantastic defense behind him. I know there are some concerns about the the minimizing of the shift this year and that that's going to hurt a guy like him and Nicholas, another guy I like on the Cardinals. Yeah. But that defense is elite. That organization is smart, uh, and they will figure out the best way to support those guys. Uh, if you look at Montgomery's numbers from when he got to St. Louis, he was an absolute stud. Um, and I feel like the market is sleeping on him. Uh, and I, I know yeah. there's been some pushback on him as like, oh, he shouldn't be going as high as he is. And he's actually dropped in some drafts. But I love Jordan Montgomery. I love Brady Singer. I really like Miles Michaelis for what he is as well. A guy who is just going to soak up a lot of innings, give you good ratios. The strikeouts are going to suck. But uh, like he's a st- like a rotation stabilizer you get for really really cheap. So uh, those are my three favorite out of the group, uh, and I don't know that there's anybody that I'm like necessarily avoiding, but I haven't ended up with a lot of Bassett or Merrill Kelly. So Singer is at SP fifty two. We're both ahead of that. I got him forty six. You got him thirty four. So we're in. Obviously, the team context is a little tough there. I mean, you like the park for sure. Uh, but as far as like wins, right? And so we, we, we're we careful not to overrate that. I think especially in this range um, where I'm not going to let wins dictate things, let me get let me get talent. And I believe in a lot of what Singer did. So I'm also believing that he can have a big season here. What do you think about the strikeouts, though, with regards to the fact that he had a 9% swing strike rate, Brady Singer? Uh, can, can that go up or do you see the strikeouts coming down? Because he had a 24% rate. That's probably milking everything you can out of a swinging strike rate like that to get up to 24.2%. Um, where, where did you have singer strikeouts this year? Um, let's, uh, let's see. Uh, oh, sorry. I, I think I said he threw 180 last year. I haven't projected for 185 this year is, is where I was looking. So I think he can make a big jump. And maybe I'm being a little bit, too generous in terms of his innings jump. So I might need to readjust. I'm actually fine with that piece. Uh, You know, I've got, I mean, all the projections are there too. All the systems, you know, what'd you say you got him for? 180? 185, I think is uh, what I have him for. I mean, you're, you're, you're not that far off. Uh, The projections all upper 170s steamers at 184. I got him 175. I don't think that that's out of pocket. What, what, how many, what kind of strikeout total? I have him for 180 strikeouts, so just just kind of south of uh, a strikeout in inning. And it's partially because his command is so good that he gets a lot of cold strikes. So I think the swing strike rate 
is something that you'd love to see go up a little bit. And I do think he has the kind of stuff that can make people swing and miss. But a lot of it is he gets people to hold off on pitches that are on the corners. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I think that in spite of the fact that he doesn't have a massive swing strike rate, he can kind of continue to volume his way and get, you know, close to a strikeout and maybe just a little bit uh, south of that. Uh, and be a really, really effective pitcher because he can volume that and is in that good park that protects him against things like home runs. I do like that. And he is three points clear of the average, 27% called strike plus whiff. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Singer has a 30% mark, 31 for his career. So that's a good that's a good thing to point out, too. And we, of course, we like swinging strikes more than called strikes. Of, of Absolutely. Course. But... Don't forget a guy who can get the consistent called strikes. If they have the command to continue doing that, then you don't have to be as worried about a low swing strike rate as we as we see with Singer, uh, undercutting the fact that he could get a strikeout. So if he can be in that 23 to 25% K rate, that's going to be really nice. And I think a big volume of 175 plus innings, enough Ks to be right around that same mark, great whip. I think that can all overcome the, the scant win total, which is kind of what we expect. Casey might turn it around, might take a step forward. That's not out of the cards, but even if they don't, I think Singer can still be great. Like I said, I got him 46. You got him 34. What about Bassett in Toronto? This is a guy that you've been a big fan of previously. You liked him going to the Mets last year, and that paid off because he was excellent. And uh, now he's going to Toronto, coming back to the AL. Bit of a tougher park, but not tough, right? It's, It's neutral. However, that division, of course, is difficult. Um, where, where do you see Bassett going this year? Are you are you trying to get off the train early before before things go south? You know, kind of the old year early instead of year late theory with him, or are you still open to drafting Chris Bassett? I mean, I'm open to drafting him. I'm just actually trying to find where I have him ranked. I'm 42, and the markets have SP 45. So you're right there. I'm right there. I haven't pulled the trigger, and I I wonder if I need to kind of lower his projection because I'm really worried about him playing on turf. Like, I don't care that they're moving in the walls. He's not a big fly ball guy, Uh, and they're raising the walls while they move them in, so I don't think there's going to be, like, a massive change in, like, home run environment for guys. What I do worry about is that because he puts so many balls on the ground, that he, you know, he's going to have a rise in Babib, uh, that he's not going to be able to handle kind of the new environment in Toronto that he's had, you know, really, really nice kind of grass environments in Oakland and in New York for the Mets. So mm-hmm. I'm a little concerned about that. Obviously not overly concerned because I still have him as a, you know, SP3, but I have not pulled the trigger yet in a draft. And I wonder if maybe I should be lowering a little bit of that projection. To, uh, I apologize. Time for to that. wake up. It's time to wake up and record with you. <laughs> so that's a good point, though, that you're bringing up with regards to Bassett because you have him SP42. He's going SP45. If he's sitting there on your board consistently, and you just keep saying, "I'm going to go. I'm going to go get this guy. I'm going to get Singer. I'm going to get Montgomery. I'm going to get Michaelis." You know, you're getting every guy in this tier except him. Then you might need to lower it. And that's what I like about battle testing your rankings. You know, shouts to Jeff Erickson. I love love that phrase. Put them out there and see if you really believe in them because it's it's one thing that to put the numbers in, and then if you're not agreeing with where he's going, maybe you don't believe in the numbers that you put in for him. It, uh, I mean, I like looking at the numbers I put in for him. It's not that I don't believe them. Like I've got him for 
uh, a three. I've got him for a three seventy seven ERA and a one seventeen WHIP for for Chris Bassett. The hard part is that you know we just talked about Brady Singer and we just talked about uh, Jordan uh, Montgomery and Rasmussen and these guys who are lower in the market than Chris Bassett, but I have higher in my ranks. And so mm-hmm. I'm. I think part of the issue is I'm never really ending up with Chris Bassett because I've got all these other guys I can either wait on or I can just straight up take ahead of Chris Bassett when he's still on the board. So uh, I. I don't dislike him, but there is something that makes me very uneasy about him on that turf in, in Toronto. I don't think that's unfair. Um, and again, I've got him at SP 57. So I kind of am missing him unless he falls to the upper range of his, uh, of his pick range for Chris Bassett. I do like Jormont quite a bit though. We both really like him well compared to the market SP 46. I'm at 34. You're at 29. Not only do I like everything that he does and loved when he went over to St. Louis, that defense protecting him, mm-hmm. getting out of the Yankee Stadium, even though he wasn't, uh, you know, being a lefty, he can he can mitigate yeah. some of the uh, the issues there. But the defense, and I still see strikeout upside. Now, this is a guy where it might be a little bit like the Max Kepler Babbitt thing, where we're like his Babbitt will raise and he'll finally have a better batting average, and it never happens because we've been saying this about about uh, Dormont for years. And it hasn't really come to fruition, but he's a 13% career swinging strike rate guy. And yet his, his strikeout rate is 23%, which is actually relatively low for such a good swing strike rate. I wonder if this is the year he taps into it fully and puts up that 25, 26, 27% rate uh, with that great command and that great defense behind him. And I think if all that came together, again, not projecting it, but, but, Think, talking about the upper ranges of what Jormont could do, I could see a sub three ERA in in, in 175 plus innings for, for Montgomery, and so I'm really in on him. I think that there, I'll take I'll take status quo. I have no problem with that mid threes ERA, great whip. I think the upside though is quite a bit more with uh, Jordan Montgomery, and I really think that we could get that huge breakout season. And you got to factor in the Cardinals Devil Magic, right? Yeah. How much do you put that into your uh, projections? I mean, I feel like you have to put that in. No, uh, I mean, I I don't even count for Devil Magic. I don't even count for him taking a step forward. What I said was, like, I think he can be the guy he was in St. Louis, uh, where after that trade, he had 63 uh, 63 and two-thirds innings, but Jordan Montgomery had a 311 ERA, a 108 whip, at almost a strikeout an inning. Like that's a really great park to pitch in with a really great defense behind you. Mm-hmm. Uh like I said, I'm not I, I know that there are I, I even like put in for some regression with the shift being lessening for Jordan Montgomery, but ultimately I think he's just gonna be a really, really effective pitcher. I do see what you're saying in terms of there also could be a step forward. Yeah, but I did I'm, but we don't need I'm, that. I yeah, didn't project I it either. I put 344, yeah. 111 in 178. Yeah. Like like I said, status quo of last. When I say status quo, by the way, I should point out status quo of last year. His career marks are 381, 121, uh, excuse me, 385 ERA, 121 for Montgomery. But last year it was 348, 109. I basically put him in for another 2022, but I do think that there is the potential to be a, a, a healthy bit better than that with, with in his first full year with St. Louis. And then the beauty is, like, yes, I've got him, I've got him high, but. 
Like you don't have to draft him very highly. He's going no. to pick 161 this month. We'll take that. And FBC draft champions. I'll take him there every day or maybe two rounds above that just to make sure I get him uh, and feel really, really good about it. I'm totally with you on there uh, on that with Jordan Montgomery. What about Merrill Kelly? He bounced back, right? Right. He's had, and he and Miles Michaelis are kind of similar in that they've had a previously excellent year. They kind of came back to the pack and then put up another big year last year. 337 ERA, 114 whip for Merrill Kelly in 200 innings, which was fantastic. Um, you know, not going to be a huge strikeout guy, but doesn't need to be, especially with that kind of volume. Keeps the ball in the yard. Keeps the ball in the zone, eight percent, you know, seven point six percent walk rate, uh, rounded up to eight, but that's perfectly fine. He's seven percent for his career, so that was actually a little bit up for Merrill Kelly. He'll be thirty-four though. So, do you see another two hundred inning season? Did you bring him down quite a bit? Where, where do you stand on Merrill Kelly? I know you mentioned that you do like him, but where are you at on his projection? Yeah, I mean, I I have him for one hundred and ninety innings in kind of a mid to high three ERA uh, and like a 123 whip. Like, I think he's going to volume his way into being very useful. I've had a hard time taking him in drafts um, because that home run rate, if that does tick back up uh, where it was last few years prior to 2022, then uh, it could be really gross for Merrill Kelly. So, uh, whereas like I like Miles Nicholas, like I feel really comfortable that Nicholas's home run rate is not going to like skyrocket. Uh, I don't feel the same way about Merrill Kelly. So I've been a little bit more uh, careful, I guess, on just picking my spots with Merrill Kelly. I really grab, I usually grab him in drafts where like, I just really need a safe arm. So like draft champions, things like that, I think is a good spot for a place like Merrill Kelly, but in a fab league, you're probably not going to have a lot of him on teams. Yeah, I, I think that that's fair uh, with regards to Merrill Kelly. I mean, he's one of those boring guys. You know, if you're if you're taking a handful of upside pitchers, maybe you get somebody like him to just kind of even things out a little bit. Yeah. Let's move on to a couple of big prospects here in this grouping today that we're talking about. And I know we're going to talk about Kodai Senga in a bit. I know he's technically a prospect because he's coming over and he is a rookie. And I got no problem with that. I'm not saying, like, I don't think that they should be able to win the rookie of the year. Fine. But we're talking about, quote-unquote, true prospects, meaning that they – Developed in the minor league system here in uh, in the United States, Grayson Rodriguez and Hunter Brown. Now we talked a bit about Hunter Brown with regards to uh, Lance McCullers having some negative news. We'll get into that in a moment. But Grayson Rodriguez, I think he's starting to move up the board a bit because they're talking more and more like he can make the opening day roster. He's SP forty uh, fifty eight, excuse me. You've got him at fifty two. I have him at seventy four. But that's I haven't made any alterations yet since we heard that there's a good chance that he could actually make the, uh, make the club out of spring. What's up with, uh, what's up with Grayson Rodriguez? Obviously you like him. So tell us how much you like Grayson Rodriguez. I mean, I, I like Grayson Rodriguez a lot and I haven't even adjusted for the news that it looks like he's going to be in the rotation. So well, wait, so how many innings did you give him before that? I gave him 129 because I thought okay. there was a really good chance uh, that he would. Or I, mean, that he I gave him 115. Up. So we must be yeah. way off on rates. So I, I mean, I've got him as a 3.42 ERA and a 102 WHIP. Okay, 102 with, WHIP. Yeah, we're 14 points apart there. With uh, let's see, 134 strikeouts. Okay. In oh wait, no, no, that can't be right. Oh, I need to give him way more strikeouts. 
134 and 120 something innings. Yeah, 129 innings. Yeah. So I need to bump up the strikeouts a little bit. And I may bump up the innings a little bit. My only concern is uh I only have them for eight wins, so that's probably right, because they're talking about limiting in games as opposed okay. to like shutting him down once he gets to his so he's gonna get limit. Drew Rasmussen. Yeah, so I think he's going to be a really, really good pitcher that will rarely get you wins. And if you're in a quality start league, he's never going to get you a quality start. Or it's going to be really, really rare that he gets you a quality start because the Orioles are going to do a really good job of just limiting his total pitches in outings uh, and how you know he probably won't see the third time through a lineup, which I think can make him really effective as a starter, but you need to account for that in terms of your categories. So... Uh, I really like Grayson Rodriguez. He's probably going to be higher up on my list when I uh, kind of update some of my projections later tonight. Oh, uh, are, you, are you taking him? Have you been taking Grayson Rodriguez? I have taken him in a draft, but I have not gotten him in a lot of drafts. Okay. So. Yeah, because, I mean, if you move him up and you're going to be well ahead of the market, then um, yeah. as SP58 around pick 200, now he's going to move up, of course, too. So he'll move up in concert. And then, of course, if he does break camp, well, then – who know? I mean, what do you think is the upper reach of Grayson Rodriguez's ADP? Let's let's say like mid March they confirm that he's in just as as main events are going. Where, where do you think Grayson Rodriguez uh, winds up consistently? I think he's probably a top thirty five starter. That would put him inside the top one hundred twenty picks. Yeah, that sounds about right. One twenty to one fifty, I think, is probably where he'll be going. Love the upside, but if if they're already talking about under you know mitigating him a bit uh and again in start as opposed to a hard shutdown i think he's the guy that if you do draft him you have to be very careful about the rest of your rotation in terms of like you can't draft him after drafting sandy alcantara you need like a horse at the top of your rotation that you know is going to get a lot of wins because they're on a good team so like well, I, I think you could take Alcantara and Rodriguez because you get that'll cover the volume. You can worry about the wins elsewhere. I'm not. I'm not going to not. I'm not going to be that. Um, you know, fearful of, of of win counts. There, I think Alcantara is exactly the kind of guy you would want with Rodriguez to to counter the wins or to counter the innings, and then worry about your wins elsewhere. Take some guys on some good teams, um, and, and cover it that way. But I, I would take you know the biggest workhorse that we have right now in, in Alcantara. I, I would put Rodriguez on the same team. Yeah, I don't think I'd be I okay would. with that. Well, I don't want. I don't want to be chasing wins. Yeah, you don't want to be chasing wins, but that's two of your guys. What are you going to have nine guys on on great teams? Yes, I doubt it. I, I only I, draft I, good pitchers on good teams. I, I highly Watch doubt me it. Put together these rotations with Brady I, Singer and yeah, exactly. I highly, highly doubt that. And so, you know, don't plus, doubt me, sir. Plus, plus. Outside of them curbing his wins, if Baltimore is good again, he might still be able to get a decent win total in his Vaughn. Would you rather have turn him loose while he's up for Grayson Rodriguez and then shut him down or what they're going to do, which is massage it throughout the season? I mean, from a real-life perspective, I would rather them do what they're doing. From a fantasy perspective, I would rather them turn him loose and then shut him down because I can drop him once yeah, they shut him down exactly. and pick someone else up. Uh but from a real-life perspective, it makes a lot of sense. This is a team that was in the playoff chase into September last yep. year, and they want him available potentially for the playoffs if they're in the playoffs. I get that. Yeah. So it may, I think they're doing exactly what they should be doing. 
but from a fantasy perspective, it's annoying. Yeah, no, we we uh, we don't like that yeah. from the fantasy angle. But sometimes the better move, uh, you know, the the better real life move can undercut fantasy. Mm-hmm. All right now, Hunter Brown, big fan of his. The Lance McCullers news has folks jumping on board, and frankly, I'm not a fan of that because I wanted Hunter Brown all for myself, and I felt like I was being able to get him pretty more pretty consistently with that uh, with that potential. Uh, him coming in as the sixth starter to start the year, which I was fine with. Now he is SP 75 and I'm, I'm basically like right there in the market. He's going to go up though. If, if Lance McCullers has any sort of major issues, Lance McCullers himself, by the way, we can just talk about him now. He's uh he's in an injury group that we're going to talk about later. He's SP 57 and already dealing with some stuff. Mm-hmm. So when you see that news, cause you had, you had Brown pretty low, yeah. Were you were you already interested in moving Brown up, or is this news the the impetus to do that? So Brown's one of these guys that comes out pretty low in my projections, but I still been drafting him uh, because I kind of throw the projections out the window mm-hmm. with him a little bit, um, and I love the upside. I'm I'm with you. Uh, so uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm definitely gonna bump up his projection. You know, he threw 125 innings or 126 innings between the minors and the majors last year. I only projected him for 100 in the majors uh, because I thought there was a chance he'd start the year in AAA or start the year in the bullpen. Uh, but now, like, I think I can reasonably project him for 140, and I feel like that could even be a little bit conservative because I think if he gets into the rotation to start the season, he's not coming out of that rotation. They will pull out Yurkiti. They will pull out McCullers. Uh, they'll pull out other guys because I think Hunter Brown is really, really good. Um, and so he's a guy that when I do update my projection later today on him, uh, that, you know, like you said, I think I am 110 or something like that. 116 right now. Yeah, 117 on, on my sheet. Uh, I think I could have him being inside of the top 50 or 60. Yeah, I, I, I've got him 66 now with the updated innings on the on the site. You'll see 80 right now, but when I when I refresh that after the pod today, mm-hmm. by the time you're listening to this, you should be able to go in there and see at least 66. Because if I make other changes, there may be yeah. some, some shuffling there. But I, I moved him up. You know, I just gave him another handful of innings. And look, I don't want to go too far with it, right? Because it's not like they said McCullers is is done. Yeah. They just said that you know it's a temporary shutdown from throwing, and that's like the first news that we get, and we always have to be careful about overreacting to these first bits of news. I think what actually kind of got me a little bit more was when you and I were talking um, about Urquidy Ur- Ur- and their rotation. I think it was in the La- Luis Garcia conversation. We were thinking like, well, Urquidy just really hasn't been taking any real steps forward. He's fine. He's a solid pitcher. But Brown is a is a game changer, I think. Mm-hmm. And so I think even if McCullers is fine from this, I think Brown has a chance to to take that spot from Urquidy. And you did mention, you know, Urquidy doesn't really get a benefit from going into the bullpen. Yeah, he doesn't really play up there, but they might just want Brown five, six innings a pop, even though he'd be an amazing multi-inning reliever if they left him there. And I think Urquidy would be fine in the bullpen, and he's a great SP6 in case somebody does get hurt. So I did make that move. Uh, the, the, the kind of confirmation was the fact that, okay, now now they're talking McCullers uh, getting injured. And I added 14 innings. I moved him Brown up to 125. And that uh, that has an SP66 now. Yeah. 
All right, let's move over to a couple of gray skies. That does, I just put that because that's their last name. They might not actually be negative there, but it's Sonny Gray and John Gray. I like one. I'm not as keen on the other. Sonny Gray, I got an SP92, so I'm, I'm pretty out on him. He's SP60 in the market. Uh, John Gray's SP56. They're right by each other. I got him 58 to your 54. You have Sonny Gray 76, so you're out compared to the market, but you're more in than I am. I just, I don't know, man. I, I I think he's done as like a, a, a full-time guy. I think there's always yeah. going to be a little something. And remember, this was a big issue when he was coming up with the A's. Can he hold up to the rigors? Well, he put up two 200-plus inning seasons uh, in his first two full years, 2020, 2014 and 2015. Great. He's been over 150 just twice since then, including 119 and two-thirds last year, 135 the year before. And I think that's where he's just going to kind of continue to live. And even if it's quality work, I don't know that I'm going to have him that high. Now, if he puts up the kind of work that he did last year, even for 119 innings, which was a 308 ERA and 113 whip, then it's going to be higher than SP92. But I am a little bit nervous on that. I kind of obviously looked at the combination of 21 and 22, figure we're going to be closer to an upper threes ERA with a decent whip, solid strikeout rate. And that's that's kind of where I wound up with Sonny Gray. And that's why he's SP92. You got him at 76. He is somebody that being SP60 in the market, you could get him at SP76, mm-hmm. right? Because like once we get in there, the ranges open up. So you could certainly get him. Have you drafted any Sonny Gray? Are you interested in doing so? Not really. And I haven't drafted Sonny Gray at all. Uh, but I'm not like completely out in a fab league. The problem is I haven't drafted any fab leagues yet. And so uh, tonight is my first fab league draft. I-, I could only project him for 135 innings. We're talking about a guy who threw 135 innings in 2021. Last year, threw 119 innings. And he, well, let, let me just kind of throw out the description and see if you can get where my mind is. He is, he is a kind of a small, slight pitcher with bad pitching mechanics. Mm-hmm. Who did you know that's had really high ups and really low downs? Who does this remind remind you of? Tim Lincecum. Yeah, Tim Lincecum, and like that has been my fear for a really long time. Is that and he just point, he just fell off, right? Like yeah. The, the crazy thing about Tim Lincecum is people think it's like injury. Oh, and he he was gone. No, it was really bad performance. Yeah, it, it, it wasn't just injury. It, it, obviously, that eventually kind of got to him uh, at age 31, and then he was done at age 32. But like, he had those three years where he was pitching, and he was pitching decent volume, 33, 32. I mean, that's great volume, 33, 32 starts, and then 26 starts. It was just bad, yeah. and that's what I worry about. With great, that's a great, great comparison. And he didn't reach the same heights, great, didn't it? But mm-hmm. then. He could probably have lower lows. Yeah, the fall off hasn't been as sharp either. And that's, I'm just, I I worry about Gray. I really do. And that's why I'm looking now. I I put him with a 130 whip. That's probably too high. That's kind of unfair. He doesn't ever really done that. Uh, I mean, I guess he has, but it's been a while. Yeah, I have him at a 116 whip. Yeah, since 19, he's at uh, 1.15 whip. I I need to give him a little bit more love there. So that'll probably get me closer to where you are. Mm -hmm. But I had, I put the ERA pretty high. I, I got I got a 388 ERA with him. I have 373 is what I have. Okay, so we're not too far off there. And how many innings did you give Gray? 135. Yeah, see, and you went even lower than I did. I gave him 141. And so I couldn't give him over 135 considering he hasn't thrown that the last two years. Yeah, I, I definitely don't blame you. I, I gave him a little extra love there at 141, but even that was probably aggressive. So 
I just can't get there with him. I think there's there's so many other guys around him that I'd rather take. So it's less like, oh, I hate Sonny Gray. It's more of like, I just want so many other guys around him, including the other Gray, John Gray, despite the persistent injury issues that he has. I know that foot has become a bit of a problem with him. But in the 105 inning, 127 innings that we did get last year, I thought Gray showed some of the some of the upside that we were hoping for when he left Colorado. 396 ERA, 113 whip, and 134 Ks and 127 in the third innings. What do you think of John Gray in his second full year out of uh, um, uh, what's it called out, out of Colorado? I mean, I think the only real concern for me with John Gray is health. Uh, you know, he missed the large portion of the season. I think it was a side issue. Um, but like, he's a guy who always seems to miss a little bit of time. I'm for 150 innings, a 360 ERA, a strikeout in an inning. Like, I think he's going to be a really, really good pitcher when he's on the mound. I just have a hard time busting him up into the upper tiers because I don't know that he's going to get past 150 innings. Yeah. Uh, that being said, I really like John Gray, and I do see the potential for another, like, jump up in terms of, like, taking his skills to another level. Uh, and it's a great park to pitch in. This team is getting better around him. Uh, I yeah I, I really like John Gray I I've drafted in my most recent draft uh, I you know I like him a lot yeah I think it's just he's pretty solid when he pitches I don't think you can plan for more than like you said what about a buck buck thirty buck oh 40, I, I did a buck fifty okay if you get him to one fifty I mean that's that could be pretty nice then. I really do mm-hmm. think that and I love the whip come down last year down to mm-hmm. one thirteen obviously now Globe Life isn't the best place to pitch but it is very nice like texas yeah. is not scary anymore so going from colorado to a pitcher friendly park that's a hell of a jump and you see it right there in the whip the yeah. ra uh was still 396 because he had a little bit he still allows homers at, at a decent clip 1.2 but john gray if he could cut those homers then you could be looking at say like a 340 era with that good whip then that could be a huge season i have some john gray already too i'm not afraid to get more um, even understanding that like the innings might be a little undercut by his health. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's move on. Let's move on to Sanga. I mentioned him earlier. He's the newcomer. Kodai Sanga coming over from Asia. Um, he's from Japan, right? He's not from the MPB. Or from the, yeah, he's from, um, he's from Japan, yeah. Not from the KBO is what I meant to say. That. Yeah, so he's from uh, the Japanese League. He's coming over. He's age 30 season. He's been amazing over there. I know it's always difficult to know exactly what we're going to get. I mean, we're talking like, incredible stuff over there sub three eras each of the last four years sub two era last year tiny whips solid strikeout rates 159 k's and 148 innings is senga going to come over and be a stud what did, what did you project for senga okay so i don't know <laughs> i know that like, but what, I, what do you think like are, are you excited are you gonna are you gonna jump in of course we don't know for sure but are you gonna take the plunge here is my general philosophy on players coming over from other leagues, whether that be Japan, Korea, Cuba, things like that, and coming straight into the majors where we're not going to see them in the minor leagues uh, for a little bit to kind of get an idea of, okay, this is who they are against American pitching. Right? Uh, unless I feel like they have game-changing talent, a talent that could help me win a league, I'm probably not drafting it. Now, I drafted Sanga in some early drafts like the Arizona Fall League uh, and a couple early DCs because the price was so low. These were like prices before he was posted. Yeah. Uh, 
just because we knew he was going to get posted, but I was getting him outside the top 300. And hey, you know, I'll take that gamble there. Sure. I'm not going to draft Senga this year anymore. I'm not going to draft uh, Yoshida anymore yeah. this year. Um, Senga, by the way, SP55. Yeah. We don't even know what his role is going to be necessarily. There were some issues with uh, Senga's uh, physical that they had to get past. They ended up getting past in the way that they weren't able to get past it with Correa. Uh, there's been talk that he could be in the bullpen, that they could manage his innings early on, uh, that they don't know how well he's going to translate in terms of pitching every fifth day. I think there are a lot of question marks. I also think he could be really, really good. I think he's a gamble. I don't want the gamble at his current price. So I'm not going to be drafting Senga probably anymore. And I'm okay with just like letting him go by. I understand there are a lot of people and smarter people in the industry that really like him. With Senga then, and I imagine this is the case for you, it just comes down to what I was just saying about, about Sonny Gray, where it's like, I don't hate the player, but I probably just like so many more guys around Sango mm-hmm. at, at that price now. SP55 is not necessarily cheap. And we just talked about John Gray, who I like. He's SP56, the next guy. I'd rather just take him. Rasmussen, Springs, the two uh, the two Angels guys, you know, all the guys in this tier. Obviously, that's why we're talking about them all together here. There's just so many more that I have more confidence in. And what happens if Senga goes out in spring and starts pitching well? You know that price is that price going to go through the roof. Yeah, I just, and that's that's a concern for me there too. Well, and he's is he going to be pitching in spring or is he going to be in the? Oh yeah, he'll be, he'll be in the WBC. So, so, but what if he pops off over there? The people yeah. will still get excited and draft him. <laughs> um, so yeah, and I need to uh, reach out to Sean because we got to get him on our board. There was a. There was a little bit of an error with guys who didn't pitch in, who weren't in the majors at all last year. Same with some rookies that weren't showing up on our board. So we'll get them up there so you guys can see our ranking of Senga because we both did indeed rank him. Injury upside, guys. This is the biggest tier of this group. They've all had major injury issues. One one of the guys on here did not, but I grouped him in here because of the, his previous injury issues. You'll, you'll, it's the last guy on the list. It's uh, Chris Sale, Jack Flaherty, Lance McCullers Jr., Andrew Heaney, Edward Cabrera, Alex Cobb, Nathan Eovaldi, and Pablo Lopez. Lopez made it 100 innings last year, but he's had the persistent shoulder issues that I don't think we can just say, oh, he's free and clear, draft him without any reservation. Let's take it in order. We'll skip McCullers because we already talked about him, and then I'll give you a separate four-hour pod for Andrew Heaney. That'll be a Patreon only. Don't forget. Uh, Chris Sale. I'm starting to see people get excited about Chris Sale again. And if you're not watching on YouTube, Justin is pointing to himself saying he is that guy. SP51 for sale. Tell us why you're you're excited to get back in on that lanky son of a bitch. I think he gets this unfair, like, injury prone tag because of having Tommy John uh, and then having the injuries last year. All the injuries last year were, like, weird. Weird. Crap. He fell off a bicycle. He got hit with a comebacker. you know, like he had these weird injuries and then he had previously a Tommy John. So he hasn't pitched a lot, but he's the kind of guy like they're just going to let him go. And yeah, uh, and I don't really have a ton of injury concerns on Chris sale. And I think he's just going way too low in the market. He looked really good when he came back from Tommy John uh, in those five inning split um, stints that we saw in 2021 for, for Chris sale. 
I think he's going to be fine, and I think he's an absolute steal in the market. You've got Chris Sale as a top 30 pitcher. Yeah, and I, I have I don't, zero issues with Chris Sale. Yeah, like I'm, I'm close to the market. I'm a little bit ahead of the market. I'm kind of getting sold, too. I wasn't double-pointing myself the way you were when I was saying that people are really getting interested. But but I'm kind of getting there, too, for the exact reasons that you highlight. And I think I was playing into the whole, like, uh, downing him quite a bit as, like, this injury-prone guy that's now not going to be able to stay healthy. And it's like, well, there's full reasons for why he was missing that time with the TJ, of course. And then mm-hmm. you said, like you said, fluke injuries last year. I I just I don't think he's cooked. I don't think he's cooked. I don't know if I'm going to get all the way up to SP 30 or into the top 30. I'm at SP 28, but I think I can get into the mid thirties there. Cause I've already got some risky guys there uh, based on, on some injury concerns. So it, it's not a talent thing. And what do I always say? If, if, if the talent's in place and injury is the only thing that I'm mm-hmm. worried about, I'm going to take that guy. You know, I'm, I'm, I got Blake Snell up, up in that range. Why wouldn't I take Chris sale in a similar range there? So I think I'm going to jump on board too. Do you think that this is another guy where the second that we see him out there slinging those 97-mile-an-hour fastballs and crazy sliders in spring, do you see a big surge in price? He's SP51 right now. Where do you think Sale will go if he has a quality spring? I don't know that he's going to have a big surge. I think there are going to be people that are too afraid of Andrew Risk. No matter what. Um, No matter what. I I mean, I definitely think he could move up, but I don't think he's going to move up like – that much more than the market will just generally as we see starting pitchers uh yeah because there'll be a a raise in in like the top 60 pitchers just in general because that's Mm -hmm. what happens in the nfbc market this might not happen in your home league it'll happen in your home league too as we see other guys get injured well certain guys guys will go up yes guys just go up naturally there but i don't know that he's going to be a guy that raises quicker than the market does i think chris sale is I think he's now an older pitcher. There's always been these concerns about his slight build and his mechanics and, oh, he's not going to hold up. And then a decade later, they finally get to do their victory dance. Told you. Yeah. Told you, dude. (laughs) Ten years later, I got that right. He was only a uh, top five Cy Young guy for eight years, but I I told you, dude. Yeah, I knew it was going to happen. So I, I I think he's a guy that won't, won't jump up in the same way as other guys will. So uh, I think, I think you're still going to get a pretty big discount. Like I, like you said, I've got him as top 30. Pitcher. I didn't, I don't need to draft him there. Uh, How many did he put on sale? Oh, that's a really good question that I probably should have had available to me. Uh, I, I, I just, gave him 150 innings. Okay. So I just, I just threw an extra 20 on him. I didn't, I didn't change anything except the innings. And there's a great, uh, uh, we, we, we were pr- promoting this all offseason, smartfantasybaseball.com. That's a sheet that we both used. Tanner Bell, brilliant, brilliant tool. Uh, there's a great column that with uh, AP, uh, in, excuse me, IP override, which is innings pitch override, and then uh, plate appearance override, where you can just go in and if you just want to change the volume, you don't have to go in and change all the rates and everything. You can just change the volume. So all I did was go from 124 to 144 innings, and guess who he lands four cents away from? The exact guy that I had just mentioned, Blake Snell, saying that if I'm going to be in on Blake Snell, I should probably be in on Chris Snell. Now, their ages are different or whatever, but again, as far as the injury piece, I'm not afraid of the talent. I believe in Chris Sale's talent, so I'm giving him 144 innings, which that might even be light. You're 150. We, like, we might get a full Chris Sale season, in which case we're both going to be ecstatic with what he can do, but I went 144 innings, and that jumps him up right behind Chris Sale, which is SP34. 
So I'm I'm in I'm in on Chris Sale and uh, again one of my favorite body comps of mine that uh, you know he he looks a lot like me out there. 150 innings that I haven't projected for has him at 200 strikeouts. That's fantastic. I mean that's that's such a huge piece of it too with regards to Chris Sale is that he will be one of those guys that doesn't need if if he does what we expect and and we he can get all the way back and doesn't have any more fluke injuries. He doesn't need a full volume season to be a monster because on a per inning basis, he's such a strikeout god. And I know it wasn't there last year. It was five innings. Don't don't come at me with like, yeah. well, what if he only had a seven point nine K rate? Like, I don't give a shit. Um, you know, coming takes, off of Tommy John, he had eleven strikeouts per nine in twenty twenty one. Yep, uh, yeah. he was at forty two and two thirds with fifty two punchies. So yeah. yeah, okay, we've 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 settled that. We're in. What about Jack Flaherty? Now, this one. I, I love Jack Flaherty, and I always got to be careful. Heart versus head. Love him. Root for him. I should probably be concerned, though, with, with the health. But I'm going to give him a shot here, and I don't think I'm too far uh, too far gone. I'm, I'm higher than you at 56 to 66, but the market's at 64. So I'm just a little bit ahead of the market. Again, that's within the range. How do you feel about Jack Flaherty, and is he somebody that you're going to pounce on if you see quality in spring, or are you just out because the injuries have been a bit scary with him? Like you said, like I'm pretty much at market price, and anytime he gets close to market price, I've been smashing the draft button. Okay, so you, it, this is the opposite of Bassett, where you were letting Bassett go, so now you want to lower him. Because so the up- Flaherty, you've been there. The upside on Flaherty is a top 15 pitcher. Exactly. And he has all those things that we love about Jordan Montgomery and Miles Miklas, is that he has a fantastic defense behind him. He has the uh, fantastic park, the great division, uh, but he also has amazing strikeout upside. And when healthy, he's a a top-tier pitcher. The question is, is he healthy and can he stay healthy? Uh, I'm willing to take the gamble where he goes. Um, I think he's one of those guys that will jump up a huge amount if he fires you know five scoreless innings in spring training. Yeah, the second that he does that, that next draft will be – Will be hilarious. In fact, to the opposite end of that, I I was hearing, I I was listening to it as I was falling asleep last night. So I got to finish the rest of it. But I was listening to Jeff and Scott. And um, they said that the draft right after the DeGrom news that he was removed with sideness, uh, side tightness, he went 40th overall. Like he just, that's, that's a huge drop for DeGrom, by the way. I know at 40 overall pick is still pretty high, but he was, he's been going, you know, half that most of the time. So, the overreactions, like right when somebody does something, I do want to see if Flaherty goes out in his first start, even if it's three innings, right? Because those first ones yeah. are usually like only two. Three yeah, he innings. might he might even go like an inning and a third or something. But if it's like, like if it's perfect if it's, with if four Ks, yeah, if it's inning and a third with three strikeouts and, and no hot, no hot base runners, readings, yeah, yeah. I mean, all of a sudden, Jack Flaherty's a top forty starter and then a top thirty starter, and like he's he's the type of guy that could just vault in the main yep. event drafts. Uh, so I've I've made a point of my last few drafts to go, you know what, I'm taking Jack Flaherty because I think there is a reasonable chance I get zero Jack Flaherty once more. Shit. Yeah, because if everyone pushes it back up and maybe it goes beyond where I'm comfortable with the risk, but currently I am fine with that risk. And like I said, I'm even a bit over market. I think if he started creeping into, say, the top 40 SPs, I mean, depending on how good it is, right? If it's, if it's that good, 
that people are pushing them that high, then I might actually still be in on Flaherty, but it really depends. So I want to get my winter shares as well. So that way I don't get uh, left out in the cold when, uh, when things go crazy in the spring. I am not actually going to give you a four-hour pod on Heaney. Let's go ahead and talk about him a bit. He got, he got him 48th. I got him 64th. I'm, I'm, I'm basically within within the market. Uh, you're a little bit higher. Huge surprise there. He's SP62 in the market. It all comes down to innings, though, right? Like that. That's that's a hundred percent what it is. How many innings did you give him, and how can you be confident putting him that high? I don't even know what your total is, but it's too high, obviously. So how can you be confident giving him that many innings? <laughs> I mean, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. Give it to me. What's the total? He, that he hits the 275 <laughs> innings I haven't projected for. So, uh, no, I have him for 125 innings. Okay. Uh, that's not uh, you know, that's like, not the craziest. but I feel like they're going to be a really good 125 innings, though I my projection's messed up. I, I need to rework that because – I just looked and it's 125 innings and 180 strikeouts. That's not right. Ooh, I mean, um, he got. Hey, listen, Heaney does have a good strikeout rate, but I think but that's not, a little not, bit aggro. Yeah, so I, I'm going to need to fix. That'll that. probably put you right back in line with the market, though. I've got him yeah. for 111 innings in Texas. By the way, don't forget Heaney did move teams for those that missed that one. 349 ERA, 117 WHIP, and 137 strikeouts. I think that's a pretty fair projection. Yeah, so I'm I'm just gonna do the quick math and and figure quick out maths. how many uh, how many strikeouts. Um, let's see. Well, I did something, and obviously it's too late because you've already gone through all your stuff. But I added a um, K nine in the you know in the where we put the projections in. I made it so that the K nine actually uh, adjusts, so that way you oh. can see because they they have a K nine column, but it's just the one from Steamer. I made it so that it adjusts. I wish it was K percentage, but that it's innings instead of batter's face. It's fine. But uh, that way I can see if I went too high. Like some of the guys, you know, you put the strikeouts in and you're like, oh, wait, I just projected him for like 12.5 K9. That's actually <laughs> egregious. I imagine yours was something like that. What did you say? You had 180 innings or 180 strikeouts in 120 mm -hmm. innings? Yeah, so you get 13 K9 for Heaney. That'd be a little yeah, bit higher. Although he should will, he should be he should be more at like 11. I, I was um, gonna say I will say he was at 13 points last yeah, year. Yeah, 32 and two thirds. I, that was that was I don't think you, yeah, I don't think you can project that though. I agree. So, I obviously, agree. obviously he needs to come down. So uh, how, quite a bit. how many shares have you gotten so far? Have you been have you been getting your boy yet? I have not. Um, there always seems to be a guy in the draft that likes Andrew Heaney more than me, which seems uh, like a Crazy. war crime. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair. Uh, I've also tried to take my bias out of drafts, and I sometimes wonder when I try to take my bias out of a draft if I overcompensate for that and I don't get the guy. And you, uh, yeah, you miss out on too many because I think it's okay, especially. Once the draft opens up, which I don't know exactly what that number is. I usually mm -hmm. say after pick like 150, which is 10 rounds in a 15-teamer, things really start to open up. You can start going three, four, five rounds beyond the, the ADP mm -hmm. for your guys, right? Because yeah. uh, you might have that ranking that, that justifies it, and you want to secure your guy because you don't want somebody to snake you. Um, and obviously, it, it expands further as the draft goes, goes further. But with Heaney, 
I mean, if you got him at SP48, I, I am surprised that you haven't gotten him anywhere if people are, are taking I, him ahead of you. I just looked up I just looked up my shares list on NFPC. I've got him in one draft. so Okay, so you so. did at least get the one. Now, I don't think that he needs somebody that if he is healthy and looking good in spring, I don't see a surge for him. Do you? Is that, is no. that any concern that you have? Yeah, I, I, I no, don't think so. I don't, I, don't, I don't have a concern. I think the people who love Andrew Haney um, love him in the way that I do. And the people who don't will not come back around as they won't play. be swayed yeah. by any sort of uh, uh, spring quality, even if yeah. it's really good. I, he might go up a bit, but SP 62, I think he'd move up six, seven, eight spots max yeah. as far as that goes, which would put him just inside the top 200. All right, the guy going right after him, I might need a, sale, a sales, sales job on him because I'm not in on Edward Cabrera. I got him 106 to your 64. You're right there with the market. He's SP 63. Put him for 132 innings. It's the quality of those innings that that has him so low for me. I got him with a 409 ERA and a 134 WHIP. I don't know. I, I guess I'm just not sold on Edward Cabrera. Am I? Am I missing the boat here with him? I mean, why do you have him with such a high WHIP? Like I, I don't know. I just. I don't think like, I understand the, the walk rate is can be a it, it's it's the walks yeah yeah like he had a 207 Babbitt last year that was keeping the hits down when it was a more you know uh standard 286 Babbitt in 2021 he allowed 8.2 hits and his whip was through the roof now I don't want to over overdo those 26 innings any more than I want to overdo the 72 innings from last year that were much better but I take it you know I take 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 it as a combo I'm still seeing somebody who's going to have a double-digit walk rate, and unless he does really keep the hits in check, similar to 2022, I don't know how the whip isn't running pretty high for Edward Cabrera. So I, I, I don't see it yet, and I, I'm I'm pretty firmly out with my uh, with my ranking. Yeah, it seems like you are. I mean, I think one of the uh, one of the scary parts of Cabrera is one of the issues that we talked about with uh, Sandy Alcantara. Uh, in the first SP episode, which is, I think that defense behind him is going to be bad. And he's a high ground ball guy, right? He's yeah. like, you know, above 45%, probably close to 50%, but he's also gets the strikeouts. And so it's really hard. I, I like the profile. Uh, I do worry about the walks and his uh, control being kind of an issue, but I think the command is pretty decent. I like the strikeout upside, and I think there is another level if you can kind of attack the zone and, and not put so many free guys on base. So uh, he's a guy I'm taking kind of calculated shots on. I think if you are drafting a pretty stable rotation to the point uh, where he kind of goes, I don't mind taking the gamble on him. If you've got some risk, whether it be through injury or performance risk uh, from your starting rotation, uh, you probably want to avoid him and go with a little bit safer option. Yeah, Edward Cabrera uh, being mentored by Johnny Cueto, by the way. I do I do like stuff like that. Obviously, mm -hmm. you never know how much that's going to change anything, but you get the right tip from the right guy, and all of a sudden you can really change your fate. I'd love to see Cabrera pop off. Um, are we sure that he's got a guaranteed spot? He uh, should, I mean, right? I believe he does. He's penciled in right now. Um, I'm, I'm not, I'm, by the way, I'm not projecting that he doesn't, but you know, Braxton Garrett did, did some things last year and he's, he, he looks like the guy that's out right now, according to roster yeah. resource with Alcantara, Cueto, Lizardo. I still think there might be a trade before opening day. Speaking I still of think Trev, Trevor Rogers could get dealt. Speaking of Cabrera was rumored in a trade to go to Colorado. Do you know how awful that would have been? 
Ooh, for, for, Bren, for Brendan Rodgers. There was a, there was that talks those talks uh, on the table, and uh, for, for, for both sake, players. I mean, you don't want either of those players in fantasy if that trade happens. But Braxton Garrett had a really strong 88 innings last year, and so I wonder, you know, is he going to be able to fight for that job? Or if there is a trade, like you said, that would clear things up. Uh, because Alcantara's a lock, Cueto's a lock when he's healthy. I do think Lazardo's a lock when he's healthy. And then you got Cabrera, Rogers, and Garrett. I think Rogers, if he's on that team, is a lock as well. So then it yeah. does leave Cabrera versus Garrett. I would give Cabrera the edge too, and I did. Again, my, my projection is not a volume issue. It is a production issue because I gave him 132 innings, which I think is fair, yeah. uh, but it's 409-134. Maybe I can give him a little bit more uh, on the hit rate, but I, I – I got to punish him on the walks until I can see something there. I gave him the 8.2 hits that he had from the from the previous year, 2021. I am going to lower that a little bit because I think that that was egregious uh, when the BABIP was running, you know, a little bit higher than it normally does. I'm not going to quite get him all the way back down to 5.5 hits per nine, which is where it was last year. But he's been consistently under seven in the minors, Edward Cabrera. So I'm going to give him a little love there. That'll move him up, but nowhere near the these. Uh, early 60s SP, which is where he's going. Okay. Alex Cobb, obviously, part of has to be part of this tier. Health has always been a concern with him. But we talked about this. I forget which giant. We were, probably Logan Webb. What's going to change with that bad luck that he had nothing. last year? That we nothing kept is, thinking, you know, we thought, oh, gonna change. It's, look at the XFIP. Look at the Sierra. Yeah, those are good. The defense is, is worse than it, it was last sucks, year. And it was the dude. worst defense in the league last year like it, and that scares me with 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 yeah. um a cop because he's a massive ground ball guy 62 percent last year but that led to a 9.1 hits nine and a 336 babip and i don't see where that's changing it's so not. i got him at sp 68 you got him at sp 79 i might even lower it a bit to just come closer to you just because i'm probably being too cautious or probably too generous on his whip this year um, given that that team is still going to be so and, punishing to him, and the hard part is you're not going to know what's when it's going to happen. Like this, when you get let down by Babip and by bad defense, it's not like it just happens against good teams. Yeah, like he could go out and fire, you know, seven strong against the Dodgers, and then he's playing the Rockies at home, and you're like, this is a start, and he just gets Babip to death. And I, yep. I just I a great wanna, point. I don't want to deal with that headache because while you may miss out on some of the bad starts, just playing, you know, the, you know, the, the smart starts, you also made like, there was a year, I'm trying to remember who it was, where it was like, I think it might've been Herman Marquez or someone like that. But like every time you played him when you were supposed to play him, he did awful. And every time you, you didn't play him when he did. Oh, one of them was Descofani one year. Like, Oh Yeah. Like, but I think Marquez was one too because he was actually having more success at home. Yeah, he was really, really good at home on the road. Yeah. And I don't want to deal with those guys. Like uh -huh. those guys are headaches. And like if he really falls in a draft, which I have seen him do, then fine, I'll take the gamble that I'm wrong. Uh, you know, sometimes when it's late in a draft, like in so a guy that I dislike is there, I'm you know I go, you know what? Just in case I'm wrong, I'm gonna take a share here. But mm -hmm. ultimately, he's rarely gonna end up on any of my teams. No, that, that's where I'm at with uh, with Alex Cobb, too. It's a player I've always liked, um, despite the consistent injury issues, but I just can't get there this year because that defense is going to continue to pummel him yeah. and uh, and mess with his whip. So I'm out there as well. Nathan Eovaldi, 
I got them at uh, 77. You got them at 87. We're both out compared to the market, which is SP70, which actually, no, not really, because he could range down to, to our levels. Um, does it only come down to health with him for you, or do you have any sort of uh, production concerns with Nathan Eovaldi? No, it just comes down to health. Like, I think he's a very, very good, effective pitcher when he's healthy, when that velocity is in the right spot. Uh, but, like, he can't be throwing 95. He needs to be throwing 97, 98. Like, I just... I need to see the velocity and I won't draft him until I see the velocity. I think the hard part becomes he's one of those guys that could raise quite a bit. If he is, if he's throwing like 98, 99 in mm -hmm. spring uh, or even just close to that, uh, then there are going to be people who bump him up the list a lot higher than I'm going to be willing to. So, yeah, I, I agree with that. By the way, Evaldi also in Texas this year. I really like mm -hmm. their off season, man. They, they did a lot. They've got like such a risk reward pitching yes. staff right now. Uh, thankfully, they have a crap ton of depth in the minor leagues. So, like, their triple A rotation is better than the A's major league rotation. And that's not a these joke. Are, like, no, these is, are just the guys on the 40 in the, mm -hmm. in the minors right now Dane Dunning, Glenn Otto, Cole Reagans, Spencer Howard, Cole Wynn, and Zach Kent. Like, those six guys, like, that rotation's better than the A's rotation. I think you're actually right. Yeah. And I, not, not to I, mention Jack Leiter. He's not on the 40, but he'll yeah. be in AAA as well. So, like, they they do have I a better I keep waiting for them the to trade. Uh, like, I know that they but just maybe, signed Robbie Grossman, but, like, I kept waiting for them to trade for, like, a left fielder. But maybe like they that. realize with the health concerns that they shouldn't. They, well, they, they also have a depth. really shitty bullpen, and so they could put like three of those guys in the bullpen. And, and, and they also and have Jacob Rizzi in the pen, yeah. so and Danny Duffy, two other guys who could possibly start. Yeah. But um, outside of Leclerc and Jonathan Hernandez, I guess Brock Burke had a pretty good season last year. But I hear you, some of that middle bullpen there is a little bit weak. And so they start and there's a lot of risk to there. guys like Jonathan Hernandez and Jose Leclerc. Yeah. Like, Jose Leclerc was dominant last year, but he has also like legit put up like seven walks per nine. We've before. we've seen we've seen him yeah. really falter there, um, and so there's no guarantees there. I totally agree. But yeah, with Eovaldi, if we start to see it in spring, I'm, I'm not out. I, I could definitely see myself drafting him, but I'm I'm playing a little bit cautiously. And then the guy I included in this group, perhaps unfairly, but. Because last year was the first time we've really seen Pablo Lopez stay healthy, I thought it was fair to at least include him that there's concerns. But when we, we saw the upside, um, are you still worried about the shoulder being a, a problem? Or do you think he's out of the woods after the big season? Pitcher 49 for me, pitcher 56 for you. Market says 49. We're right there with the market, so we're not out on him. But how do you feel about Pablo Lopez now being shifted over from Miami to Minnesota? I am... And maybe maybe it's unfair because every MLB team just evaluates talent different than others, right? Mm -hmm. But that return for Pablo Lopez just scares the crap out of me for some reason. Like, I feel like they should have gotten a ton. Miami should have gotten a ton for Pablo Lopez. They right? had to throw in a top prospect. They threw in a prospect. Like, I, I just... I it can't. I couldn't feel believe like that. They have major concerns. Like they just wanted to get this guy off their roster and get something for him. Now I know they got the AL batting champ, but like, yeah. I mean, it's a batting average guy. I mean, like, I've I've made my feelings about Arise known. Like he's a he's a perfectly solid baseball player. Like he's yes. a good major league player. I'm not interested for him in fantasy. Um, I'm not interested now that he's going to my. That doesn't help anything for me. He's BABIP dependent. 
right? And he's he's maintained wonderful Babbitts, 336 for his career. So he'll I, probably I, remain I a batting average this. asset. I feel like I hate to say this, but it feels like this organization's really the Marlins organization is just really poorly run since Cheater left. Like it like I can understand why he was like, Oh, I'm getting out of here. He's like, I don't it's like a, this. this. Yeah, what, what, because what? this is so poorly run. So as far as Pablo Lopez goes, like I think he can be kind of what he was last year. I just do worry about the shoulder becoming an issue again for him. Uh, I like the situation in Minnesota. That defense is really good behind him. Yeah. Uh, it may be the best outfield defense in baseball. And um, I love picking up Taylor so that when they lose Buxton, they don't yeah. take that big defensive hit as they have yeah. in past years because Michael A. Taylor is going to go out there and be gold glove caliber. And by the way, if you're worried about him moving from Miami to Minnesota, I'll just say at least last year, that really wasn't a big thing. No. He put up a 455 at home with a 125 whip. It was three flat ERA on the road with a one. Minnesota's whip. not a bad place to pit. Exactly. Like, Minnesota's a pretty decent place to And you get Kaufman, Comerica. Mm -hmm. uh, Progressive is medium and White Sox leans hitter, but it's also mm -hmm. not terrifying, especially with who knows yeah. what's going on with that team. But yeah, and, so and I that got defense behind that. him is really, really good. So I I mean, I don't mind him where he's going. I'm just not like I'm not jumping for joy in the way that I that I have been in previous seasons. And so, yeah, like, I think I, I think it just feels like, eh, okay. I'm you know what's funny Pablo about Lopez. that though? Because I agree. I, I've been a Pablo Lopez guy for years. We finally get the full breakout. Like he stays for 180 innings, and now we're just like, eh, that's yeah. fine. I think it's because we're nervous that the injury will strike back up. And then all of a sudden he's pitching closer to like pitcher 80 because he misses time and only throws you 120 type innings. So well, that is and, definitely the concern. And like, we got the full breakout in terms of innings, but he, he wasn't able to keep the ratios as pristine with yeah. those innings. And so you have to wonder, like, is he a guy that can keep the skills the entire way through a full season? Because there's some guys who were just obviously more effective in the shorter, in this, uh, shorter sprints and mm -hmm. so you got to wonder like is he like is, can he become a low three r three r a pitcher with those 180 innings or is he just going to be like a mid to high guy that is eh, just okay always seems to have that one big blow up mm -hmm. and you know for i think two years in a row or two out of three years it was the mets they put like a 10 spot on him but he always rebounds, but he seems to have a, a blow up or two throughout the course of the season that uh, that hurts Pablo Lopez, um, and that keeps that ERA a bit higher than we'd like. You know, eight earned. It was the Mets again last year. Eight earned against the Mets in September. Like <laughs> he just can't. Now he's escaped them. Maybe getting out of their division. In fact, his three worst starts last year were against the Mets. So maybe just leaving the NL East is perfect for Pablo Lopez, and he can finally yeah. put up a full season of a low threes ERA. Our last group. The rebounders, Trevor Rogers, Jose Barrios, and Charlie Morton. How do you feel about this group? Any of these three you're targeting for a full-scale rebound that, that you're interested in? I mean, I've been targeting Trevor Rogers. Like, I just feel like I can't quit him a little bit. Yeah. But uh, there's no one I feel super confident is going to rebound. Um, I mean, I, th I do think that Morton will kind of just be Charlie Morton. Uh, yeah. which is a reliable guy with a fairly high floor. I think the ceiling isn't what it used to be, but I think he's just going to be a reliable arm. And if that's what you're looking for at that point in the draft, like I think he's the smarter play. 
Rodgers, I really do see the upside in what we saw at the end of 2021 that made us draft him as a top 60, 70 pick going in 2020. And he's a guy that I'm really looking forward to watching in spring to seeing if that change up is back to being where it was Mm -hmm. in 2021. Because he did show flashes of it at times towards the end of 2022 that gets me intrigued, but I also don't want to be Charlie Brown kicking the football. At least the price isn't what it was last year. No, pitcher 68. Totally fair. Yeah. I got him at 65. You got him at 55. So we're, you're a little bit ahead of the market, but not egregiously so. And I'm right there. Totally fine. And I'm taking him already. I will continue mm-hmm. to take him. He is somebody, though. We've talked about this theme throughout the show. Once spring goes, I could totally see him jumping up quite a bit. Not not yeah. back up to last year's prices, but I wouldn't be surprised if he was inside the top 45 if he had a nice spring. It won't be that one start that totally changes it, but if he consistently is putting up quality starts, the changeup's looking great. And I don't mean quality starts, six innings, three runs, because you're not going to pitch that much in in spring. But you know what I mean. He's hitting his innings targets. He's getting his strikeouts. The changeup looks great. I do think Rodgers will surge. But I would pay – a premium if, if he jumps up to say pitcher 48 which is actually exactly where charlie morton is right now that was a mm-hmm. random number that i gave and it happens to be where another guy in this tier is i would pay that I, i'm i'm okay with that but i do like getting the discount right now with trevor rogers yeah. what about barrios because you look at him and we are we are in line with each other and the market has sp 73 so we're ahead of the market we've got him rebounding a bit as uh sp54 for me 57 for you is the market overreacting to Arios's uh struggles last year maybe <laughs> i don't know like he was he, he he was so frustrating to roster last year yeah it I, wasn't he, all bad by the way before you go 523 era yes that is terrible he led the league in runs and i think um also yeah earned runs and hits i led the american league in both of those and so you're like, oh, he was just complete trash. He wasn't, though. Like, there were still uh, 16 starts of two or fewer earned runs, many of which were seven-plus innings. The problem is when you have, uh, what's this, seven? No, six starts of six-plus earned. And, and then this one doesn't even fit in that tier, but four runs in a third of an inning on opening day, it's going to be a big hole to dig out of. So there was still good in Barrios' season, and I just think he can mitigate some of those lows and kind of get back on track. I think the hard part with last year, I mean, if you look at his game logs, it looks like an EKG uh, G machine. Yep. Like just like up, down, up, down, up, 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 down, down, down. You know, uh, he had only one outing in which he held the team he was facing to zero runs. He had one scoreless outing the entire season. That's tough. Uh, which is really tough. Uh, true talent, I think he's going to bounce back. But I don't know. I really just don't know. And I and I have not pulled the trigger yet, even when he falls on a uh, in a draft. Because I think ultimately, you know, you can throw in like Jack Flaherty, I kind of think, with this group in some regards in terms yeah. of like where they go in ADP and stuff. You can only take one of these guys. So you got to figure out which guy you That's like, which guy you trust, and go with it. You, I don't think you should be like doubling up on these guys by any stretch of the imagination because there is probably a better chance than not that all of these guys fail again. And you don't want to have two of them fail on your roster at the same time. Yeah, exactly. If you're if you're creating too much of your rotation out of these out of this tier, all the guys we talked about today. 
you're putting a lot of risk on the team mm-hmm. um, unless they're, you know, the, the, the quote unquote right guys that, that don't have as much risk and maybe just are uh, have a lower ceiling. But if you're getting too many of these last two groups, the injury upside and the rebounders group, you're going to be, you're going to be in some potential trouble there. And so you yeah. have to be careful. And by the way, we don't even have Barrios getting all the way back, right? He, he's better than SP fifties yeah. previously. So we just have him getting back to like, I don't know, a low four ZRA with a decent whip. And, and I, I have him for four ten ERA, a one twenty five whip, twelve wins in one hundred and eighty innings. That's right in line with what I've got. That's, that's right in line. Almost it's not even thing. yeah. It's not a pristine line by any stretch of the imagination. But uh, that volume really helps too, because I got one hundred eighty four yeah. innings, and that is a big key there. Even though the ratios aren't amazing, just the fact that we have him going out, putting up another full season, and getting back on track. I'm going to take some burritos. I am because, you know, Nick always called them, Nick Pollock always calls him the great undulator because he's had these ups and downs throughout his career. Never as aggressive as it was this past year, but this was just the ultimate undulator season because he had, he had the highs, but boy, did he have the lows and they were, he's only 28. Like it's not an old dude. I mean, age 29 season, like he's on the right side of 30. I can't quit him. Would you even be surprised if he got all the way back to 2021, which was 352, 106? No, no. I, I would not be surprised at all if he, like, all of a sudden just is the guy that he was in 2021. And maybe this is like, hey, first full season in a new park, new place. Like, he got the contract extension. Maybe this is the, the smart system, the Glenn Colton ritual yeah. kind of stuff. Coming to just fruition with Come to fruition. And he might end up being a huge bounce back. Yep. So Damn it, I, now I, I'm going to have to draft him. I, I think it is worth it. You know, again, we're multi-leaguers, so we can get shares of guys, and, and it's not as difficult. If you're a single leaguer, I get it when you have trepidation with a guy like this, but I really want, I'm not going to be afraid to take Burrios because I think the market has given more than a fair discount at SP73 to take that shot. So uh, I, I mean, I'm Burrios. He's a guy he, I've he, liked. He's a guy that I'm really, like, watching – kind of the the strikeout rates and the walk rates for in, sure in spring like i think he's just a guy that i want to see okay Spe- especially the strikeout rates if the strikeouts are back then i think jose barrios are back. is back yep. yep i'm in on that too and that's going to wrap up episode three of starting pitchers um next episode will be a bigger chunk we gotta go we gotta go with a lot of guys here and we won't be able to deep dive everyone. I think I said that about this episode and then we basically did that. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. We love talking starters. It's hard not to get deep into them because again, I really think uh, that the second episode, this one and the next one, that's the range of SPs where you really want to find your gems because you're going to find your breakouts there, your game changers, your guys that can really turn your season. So uh, we're at SP 76 right now uh, from, from the ADP poll that I did, you know, uh, a few weeks ago. So keep that in mind. Things could have fluctuated, but we'll try to get at least from 76 to like 110 next episode. We'll see how that goes. But Justin, great talking with you, and I'll talk to you on Friday. Take it easy.